This is the tape recording made in the chapter of the open book and is number 11 of a series entitled Spotlight. This title was definitely purposely chosen because it is not always possible for folks to continue a series unbroken and so may possibly say, well, it's no good me going to that meeting where they have the tapes. And this is an attempt to meet that, I think, necessary requirement so that they may feel that although like links in the chain they may be in some measure linked, yet each one can be taken separately. It so happens that this evening this is a link, a definite link with number 10. Number 10 of the spotlight was held last time and it was that perennial question which most of us have met and some of us have found in our own hearts, why should this happen to me? And we sought to show that in the scriptures it told you that God had an end in view. You have heard of the patience of Job. You have seen the end of the Lord. Or as it is put in the epistle to the Hebrews, no chastening is pleasant. Nevertheless, afterwards, it has a purpose, an object, and a goal. Well, I felt somehow that the spotlight was turning attention to the experience of a man who has written about this. Because it's one thing to say the end is the thing that makes it tolerable. It's another thing to say we know how we can attain to that end and the knowledge of it. So that will be more or less the subject which Asaph in the 73rd Psalm will help us to reach. <clears throat> so will you turn with me to the 73rd Psalm and written by a man named Asaph who has written others beside this. And the first thing the first thing that I want you to notice is this that there is a word that occurs three times in this psalm translated by three different words but all very comparable and inasmuch as Asaph has used the same word three times to divide this experience up. That is surely the first thing that we should note because it's a part of our witness that we build our doctrine upon what God has said and what God has said is the actual word used however good a translation may be. So will you look at the, these verses the first one, truly and then you will find the same word in verse 13 Verily, and it is repeated for the third time, surely. Now you see, he didn't say those three different words, he said one word three times over. Now I'm not suggesting that the literal translation of this word should be what I'm going now to suggest, but in the sort of way in which we might speak fairly freely in our English idiom, you get the sense of it by using this word, after all. Now, after all, in our use of the word, means to say, you know, I've had to change my opinion. He said, after all, God is good to Israel. But you may say to him, but surely, Asaph, you belong to the Hebrew people. You have all the testimony 
of the way in which he blessed Abraham and led the children of Israel out and brought them into the land and gave them their king David. Oh, he said, I, I, I wasn't quite sure about it. After all, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Well, you say, well, if he's good to Israel, surely he would be, I was going to say gooder, we mustn't say that, must we? Surely he would be good to those who have a clean heart. He said, that's just the trouble. That's just the thing that puzzled me. So he goes on, he says, As for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slept. So you see, he'd he come to a point when he was losing grip. And the trouble was, as we're going to see, he was envious when he looked at the wicked. And they didn't seem to be judged and puzzled and perplexed as some of God's children are. I don't know whether you are listening to me or saying, oh, I've never been in that position. Friends, you're an exception to the general rule. For there's very few of us who can look back on our lives and say we haven't sometimes wondered why this should happen to me. Well, that's what he's dealing with. And isn't it good to think that God hasn't given us a book to study where everybody in it is absolutely perfect? We shouldn't find very much echo, should we? We're not glad that Abraham stooped to tell a white lie, but he did. He said, you know, if, if these people in Egypt know that I'm your husband, they won't run off with my head to take you. Now you say you're my sister, for you are my sister. Can't you see it? Have you never done it yourself, friends? You've got near it sometimes, possibly, when you've been in a fix. There's Abraham, who believed almost the most incredible thing that God had said, suddenly revealing that he wasn't absolutely, spotlessly perfect then. And then we think of a man like David. The wonderful way in which that man has been used of God in some of his psalms. But look at the way that man fell. Murder and adultery committed by the man who was chosen to be the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. So you see, it does us good not to be glad that people sin and people fall, but that those who did sin and those who did fall can nevertheless be restored. For if that weren't a possibility, there's very little hope for any of us. So, he said, after all, after all my cogitations and wonderings and perplexities, after all, God is good to Israel, even to such as out of a clean heart, but as for me, you notice the, the change, as for me, I said, I wasn't always quite sure. My feet were almost gone. We shall notice presently that he'd be so glad when he said almost he, didn't, he never absolutely fell right away for somebody was holding his hand whether he knew it or not. But my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped and he said, I'll tell you why. I was envious. You read the New Testament. It gives a warning to those who are envious and covetous. Those who, who think that suffering in this world, is a strange thing. Peter told them it wasn't a strange thing. He said it's happening to your brethren in the world. And one of the reasons that we saw last time was 
that there's an indication in the scriptures that we're living in a world where there's a war on. And we happen to be here in the midst of this battle that's going on between right and wrong. And one day, the prince of this world is to be cast out and his angels with him. And the kingdoms of this world to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And all this cogitation and wonder will be over. But meanwhile, we must remember, he's the prince of this world and the god of this age, and there are no light titles. You're told that even Michael, the archangel, in the presence of this one, durst not bring against him a raining accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. We only play into the hands of the evil one if we minimise him. And we don't want to be always talking about him. Devil don't, but he's a fact. And this man said, my steps almost went. He's going to tell you he knows why presently. But he's got to get somewhere before he gets that assurance. And you and I have got to get there and know it for ourselves. Otherwise we shall many a time wake up and discover we are more or less walking in the steps of Asaph when he said, I began to wonder. He said, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And you can't close your eyes. I'm not going to use anyone's particular name. But in the newspapers today, a certain person who was in Parliament and concerning whom there were some very shady things said has come into millions of pounds. And you might say, well, look at that. The wicked prosper. Yes, but you see, it's only for a brief period until that day comes. And then, joy, real, transparent, unalloyed joy cometh in the morning. The other part of that text I must quote, of course, weeping may endure for a night. Doesn't say it must, but it may. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy cometh in the morning. So it says, the reason why I was envious, there are no bands in their death, and their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. <coughs> and one of the things I believe we noticed in the reference in the epistle to the Hebrews, when it said about chastening, it says that it's the father that chastens the child. And if you have no father chastening you, you may be illegitimate children. And you see, a little child who is under the discipline of his father may be envying the little ragamuffin out there that nobody bothers about at all, but there's an afterwards with regard to that. Follow those two children and see them until at last they attain manhood. And then you'll see that nevertheless afterwards it yielded the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who exercise their mind. So we have here. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued as other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain and violence covereth them as a garment. They're all dressed up with this little brief authority. The chain and the garment. And many of them are in high places. And many of them rule with rigour the true child of God. 
But once we learn the lesson that is here, we do not envy them. And we'll go on to let this man tell us how he came to his conclusion. He goes on to speak about them further. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Their eyes stand out with fatness. What a picture of the bloated one who seems to be gathering to himself all the produce of the earth. There are so many whose eyes are standing out because of famine and disease and want. But there are these, apparently, with nothing to stop them from getting all the best that the world can give to them. They are corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. You can see, these are the boasters, the blasphemers, the ones who do not submit to any control. They are the masters. Therefore his people return hither and waters of full cup are wrung out to them. The waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. They don't get away with it like these people do. They're not in trouble like these people are. Or these people are not in trouble like they are, I meant to say. And so it perplexed them. It perplexed this man. And they say, how doth God know? There's a feeling of being forsaken. There's a feeling that they've been left. They've been forgotten. How doth God know? And is there knowledge? in the Most High. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. They prosper and they increase. I have mentioned before, and I'm always glad to think of the response of the old chap who was sitting at his garden gate, just a little cottage, just a little pittance, very, very little to show and somebody drew his attention to the folks who were going by in their cars and enjoying their life and everything. And he said, oh well, he said, God is my father, heaven is my home, they can have the rest. We're very glad of the amenities of life, but don't let us wear them as fetters let us walk humbly with our God and walk lightly. And this man had endured this and then he said, I had a great difficulty. He said, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. And when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. And I looked at Moffat's translation of this and sometimes by putting it in a little different language, it helps you. He puts it this way. I had been faithless to my family, so I thought of it thinking to fathom it. I thought of it thinking to fathom it. But surely, it surely did trouble me till I found out God's secret, viewing their latter end. And that's where we've come at last. Then understood I their end. 
You remember we were speaking about the end for the believer. Well, these boasters, these wealthy ones, these wicked ones, they also have an end. And he said, I, I began to see that I was envying that which was passing. And I had within me that which is the evidence of the permanent. So now we come to the next occasion. He says in verse 13, the next occasion of this word translated verily or truly or surely. When he said, I looked at all this prosperity and the wicked getting out of way with it, you know, I came to this conclusion. Verily, after all, I'm going to suggest that rendering again. After all, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. What's the good of it all? It doesn't seem to be the evidence that God cares or knows. In fact, the question is now being mooted. Doth God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? And then, as I said just now, he used one of the very words which contain the answer. Verse 14, For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. And the New Testament says, if you have a father, you must expect to be chastened. And it also says, now I know, no chastening at the time is grievous, is joyous, but rather grievous. And I don't know whether you were ever bad boys and girls when you were young, but I know what it was to have so many stripes that mother couldn't get rid of them when I was in the bath at the end of the week. And when I received that chastening at that time, I didn't think it was something to be joyous about. Nevertheless, afterward, I didn't do the same things again that I got that larrapine for. And the very fact that I had a father who took me in hand was a blessing that I didn't realise at first, but I do now. And so the chastening is a part of the discipline that you and I must expect if we're walking through this wicked world and we have a Father who's watching over us that we don't get contaminated. There's an afterwards in store. And then he said, Surely, after all, it's dawned upon him I understood, I, I understood their end. I didn't look far enough. After all, thou did set them in slippery places. Do you notice he said, my feet had well nigh slipped. But look at these people now that I've been envying. Do their feet well nigh slip? Let's go on. Surely thou did set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. Oh, he said, my feet well nice slipped, but these, they went right down to destruction. No hand was holding them up in the slippery path that they were walking. Oh, friends, here's a difference. We may be walking in the dark. We may be walking in a way that we know not. But there is one who walks with us, who has given us this statement, I will never leave thee. Neither will I forsake thee. And although I've said it before, I say it again. That in that Greek statement, 
there is piled together five negatives which would not be possible in English but is allowable in the original. So to help us to realise that we should never be in this predicament. So he says, After all, I envied them, didn't I? And now I see they were in slippery places and were cast down to destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. And this man's viewpoint is changing, isn't it? At one moment he's envying the very people, the next one is seeing a bit more clearly that they're not to be envied. That he's in a position which they might envy if they only knew. And we want, we want to say, oh, I want to get to that too. I want to know where I can get that lesson. So we'll go on and follow the teaching that Asaph has started and continue with his psalm. How are they brought in, into desolation? As in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream where one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou should despise their image. A very difficult verse to interpret. Unless we just say, you see, when that day comes, when that way day, day, that day comes, the day of resurrection and standing in his presence will be the real thing, and the rest of it will be set aside as a bad dream. Thus, my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. I just wonder whether some folks know where their reins are in the Old Testament use of the term. Not that it matters, so I suppose, very much, but it's the kidneys. And there's another word that sometimes we haven't quite realised, and that is that it speaks about the liver under the title of weight, because the liver is the heaviest organ of the body. But it says, wake up my glory. The word glory there is the weight. Wake up my liver. And the liver has two meanings. The one who has the liver as an organ in his body and the person who lives. As one said, is life worth living? It depends upon the liver, physically and spiritually. But that's by the way. The reins are the kidneys. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Now when a man gets to that position, he's brought very low. But possibly we have to be brought pretty low in order that we may be raised up in the true sense. Always said how wrong I was to be envious of these people. How wrong I was to think that he had forgotten me. How wrong I was to take that attitude. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee, always coming back, friends. Nevertheless, in spite of all I've said, I'm so sorry for it. I am continually with thee. And thou hast holden me by my right hand. He said, I now know why I didn't slip completely as these others did. I almost slipped but he was always with me. He never left me. He was continually holding me by my right hand. And so we have the restoration of this man to his full trust 
in the God that he doubted for the time. Well, we haven't quite got to the end of the story. Nevertheless, I am continuing with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Now he, he takes a sort of vow. He takes a sort of new resolution. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. You see, he had been objecting to the counsel of God that was regulating his life. He was comparing himself with others that were not comparable. But he said, now, I take this new point of view. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And then what? We're getting to the word that is the key word in Hebrews. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the, the fruit of righteousness. Afterward. All friends, I think one of the things we remember is so far as you and I are concerned, there's an afterwards. If this were the be all and the end all here, as it's put, as it put the one who said that, he says, if this life were the be all and the end all here, we'd jump the life to come. But he says there is a life to come. And that's all the difference. There is something afterwards. And when that afterwards comes, darkness is dispelled, death is destroyed, we find ourselves in the image and likeness of our risen Saviour. Oh, what a difference then. That little pathway and its little sufferings will appear. You know how the Apostle, he could speak about sufferings, couldn't he? But if ever a man gives us a list that's almost impossible to believe, it's the list of the things that man went through. And yet he said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, think of it, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, day and night he'd been in the deep, he said, in prisons, oft, so on, robbers, what not. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Why could he say that? Was he insensitive? No. He'd learned perspective. I won't go off into that because I've had some struggles with that in the early days. But he saw spiritual perspective. He says, in comparison with what the Lord has stored for me, said Paul, the affliction is light. And in comparison with its eternity, it's but for a moment. And not only so, it's under his care. The light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Notice I left out the and there. It isn't in the original. And there is a figure of speech which is called polysyndeton. That means many odds, piling them up one on top of the other. And the other side of the story is asyndeton, no ands at all. It goes straight away through. It worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. You see, the light affliction, the weight of glory, how can I be compared? But for a moment, eternal. Oh, Paul, you've been where Asaph went. Yes, he said, I have. So let's get there, friends, shall we? Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. 
and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? Well, if Asaph could say that, what about ourselves? The risen and ascended Christ, whom we own and acknowledge as our Redeemer and Saviour, is said to be at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for us. And if we're going to take that as it's written, we are never out of his care. We may not always be sure or always be conscious, but we're never forgotten. He knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, says the scripture writer, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So there's an end, you see, all the time that has, God has in view, which if only we can see, will stop a good many of our wonderings and murmurings. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Asaph, you have changed your opinion. On earth there were these folks who were piling up their money bags and you were envious with them. Oh, he said, yes, I know, I know. I've learned something. And so we get these three words. Truly, verily, surely, after all, that did set them in slippery places. My flesh and my heart fadeth. Yes, Asaph. It's good to re- recognize the weakness of self. Because if we don't, we're apt to put our trust in our own ideas, our own plans. But when we are conscious of how weak we are, and that he is our strength, even as our Redeemer, my flesh and my heart fadeth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, he was looking at these folks with their portion. Oh, he said, I see this. They have their portion in this life. But what's that when compared with he who is my portion forever? Well, now we come to the crisis. How did he, how did he get to know this? Where did he go to get this instruction? Let's read on. For lo, they, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee. But, in contrast with that, but, it is good for me to draw near to God. Now we know in the New Testament, how that is opened up. We have boldness of access into the presence of God through the faith of Jesus Christ. We have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. The middle wall of partitions broken down, the veil is moved, and we can go now in a sense that Asaph never could. For he was dealing with a shadow tabernacle, and we are dealing with the true. But nevertheless, the shadow had its, had its meaning. And when at last he said these words, It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. And the only place that Asaph could use the terms to draw near 
was that place that God had already prescribed through Moses. The holiest of all. He said, there will I meet with thee and commune with thee from above the mercy seat. And the mercy seat to us is retranslated in the New Testament by the word atonement or propitiation. And we have access into the presence of God himself through the mediation of our Saviour. And it's there we sit in his presence and we get the answer to his problem and to our own. So there we have this psalm. A sort of second statement from the one that we were dealing with in our last Spotlight study. Why should it occur to me? What have I done that this should happen to me? Here's this man comparing his lot apparently with the wicked who prospered. Until I went. Until I went into the presence of God. Then understood I the end. This isn't, this isn't going into a college or an institute or a school. This is going into the presence of God. And there, this particular understanding will be attained. I don't need, I, I'm sure, to press the moral. That when we have these problems as we must meet them in life, there our answer is waiting for us. If we compare ourselves with those around us, possibly we may sometimes be moved with envy. If we'll only think our, foots, our footsteps almost slipped and we compare ourselves with them, we should be glad that he holds us still by the right hand. And then when we go into that presence and realise we have access there through the blood of our Saviour, who died that we might be forgiven, who died that we might know him and rejoice in his love here and experience it forever. I think we can look upon the poor, wicked, wasteful, wanton world with different sight. Instead of envying them, we say I couldn't think of changing place with them for anything that this world could give. Oh, may the Lord grant unto us that if we've entered into, in any sympathetic understanding of ASAP's original problems, as most of us must, may we go with him, with his surely, or truly, or verily, these three times, and say, after all, after all, it, God is good to Israel, to those who are of a clean heart.